Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. You are not alone in your pain. Welcome, my friends, back to the Storybox. I am thrilled that you guys are here today, especially for my next two guests right in just a second, uh, Catherine and Jay Wolf. Now, if you have heard anything about their story, it is quite remarkable, and I highly encourage you all to go and pick up a copy of both of their books. You won't be able to put them down. Hope Heals and Suffer Strong. On April 21st, 2008, Catherine Wolfe suffered a massive brain stem stroke. She was rushed into microbrain surgery and her husband was told there was a good chance she might not survive. But she did survive. And that's when the hard part really began. 40 days on life support in an ICU, two years, two years in full-time brain rehab, a severely disabled body, a marriage challenge to survive the seemingly insurmountable This is a story of second chances when, by all human accounts, there should have been none. If you're suffering, if you're disappointed, if your life looks nothing like the one you've expected to live, then understand you are not alone. There is always hope for you. And that is literally the message of my two guests today, Catherine and Jay Wolf. They are so inspiring. I just absolutely adore these two. Uh, We... Could have spoken for hours, to be honest with you. I, I didn't actually want to leave the conversation. I had so many questions for these amazing humans. But Catherine and Jay are survivors. They're communicators and advocates. They share their journey of steadfast hope uh, at speaking events, both live and online, before millions. Together, they founded Hope Heals Camp, a community for families with disa- disabilities. Catherine and Jay and their two sons, which is a remarkable story in of itself, live in Atlanta to connect. My goodness, you have to go and get a copy of both their books. Once again, Hope Heals and Suffer Strong. Hope Heals and Suffer Strong. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. All right, my friends, I don't want to waste too much more of your time by me talking. 
Uh, please, if you do get something from this, share it around to your friends and family. This is a message especially about finding hope when there may seem like there isn't any hope that needs to be spread far and wide. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. I think a lot of you already know that. So if you do get that feeling from this conversation, share it, share it, share it, please. Um, I can't say that highly enough. Um, so, and also before you go, don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Let me know how I can improve uh, your experience here on the Storybox each and every week. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to find hope by diving into the Storybox today and listening to the incredible, the inspirational story of none other than Catherine and Jay Wolf. Yay! Oh, thank you so much for having us. We're so glad to be here. And we just cheers our coffee. Uh, you let's, in the in the Australian seven a.m. us in the <laughs> United States. Right, cheers. Five p.m. Yeah, I like Coffee's it. Coffee's always a good idea. Yes, five o'clock here and seven a.m. <laughs> I've got my. Uh, it's sort of my electrolyte drink, so it keeps me keeps me energized and keeps me going. Otherwise, I, like I sort it. of teeter off and become a little bit tired. But <laughs> yeah, nonetheless, it's you. It's yeah, great to have you both here. Um, I can't believe how excited I have been the last, ever since I found out that I would be actually speaking to you both. Um, and I, I read both of your books, love both of your books, um, which I'm excited to get into as well. But before we do that, before we unbox any, any of your story, uh, I have one particular question I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is what does success look like for you? Who wants to go first? Mm. Wow, you're just going right for it. Yeah, I love that's... that. <laughs> Diving right in. Goodness, what does success look like? I, hmm. I would say success in each of our lives is waking up to what is happening right in front of your hmm. nose and living wholeheartedly into that reality That's not good. looking to the left or the right but just right here really owning it and mm. living it well stewarding your story that's good i think i'll tee i'll tee on um or what am i trying to say i'll um yeah. riff on that because i think the wholeheartedness uh element of success catherine was talking about is absolutely true whatever the story is right in front of us and the life that we've been given in the moment and the season, like we want to be all in with our whole hearts um, because we believe that it's been given to us and it's not a mistake and there's things to learn and there's things to love and grieve and all those things. So whole heart. But then I, I for me, success is living with wholeheartedness, but also with open hands. Mm -hmm. And I think that tension is really the work of, of our lives, all of our lives as humans to say we've been giving something precious. We need to be all in. We need to love it fully be present fully, but we need to hold it with very open hands mm. because often, you know, we have such expectations for how things are going to turn out and that can kind of stifle our joy or, or kill our um, ability to be all in wherever mm. we are. So that's a successful day when we can balance that tension of being wholeheartedly all in, but also opening our hands to the outcomes and the future. Yeah. This idea of opening yourself up to what is going to actually come into our life, you know, and just being all in, why do you think that some people actually struggle to number one, be present in life with what's going on around them and to open themselves up to unexpected possibilities, whether good or bad? 
Mm-hmm. Well, because they have expectations of what they thought it was going to look like and be like, and they have a standard in their heads of what they want and what they think they deserve and are entitled to get. And so they don't have the ability to pivot and to go a different direction Mm -hmm. and to have agility in their lives. Mm -hmm. I think C.S. Lewis said, you know, to love something is to make your heart vulnerable. And I think many people maybe don't even think about it consciously, but they're afraid that if they really love something or open themselves up to something that they may lose it um, because they've seen loss, you know, they've seen their family's divorce or they've seen their dreams not work out. And so, you know, in a weird way, we're, we protect ourselves by just not even risking or loving at all. And, and I see that even in the, in the, I don't know, in the modern age or, you know, just the generation, maybe even your generation, Jay, you know, just you guys, um, we're we're not that much older than you, but there's Mm -hmm. such uh, a fast forwarding, I think, of the digital world and the access to the reality of of all the horrible things and the hard things and the unexpected things going on in the world at a given moment and how that story fits together. And, um, you know, that's, that can be kind of a hopeless feeling that, you know, no matter your best efforts, um, life may may turn out really differently than you thought. I think the good news is that the more there is the, the reality of that possibility, it can either make us sort of isolate or, you know, sort of self-protect and never open our, our lives or our hearts up. But it can also really open us up to just how much joy there is out there, you know, sort of that opportunity of suffering carving out this space that can be really filled up with even more joy and gratitude and some of those things. So it's not, it's not just hopeless, but I I do, I don't know. I feel so much for the next, the generation behind us that just sort of has this sort of wide-eyed sense of, of, wow, the world is a really tough place. And I don't even know if I want to be in it. You know, I don't even are, you know, it's just, um, I don't know. I think that prevents a lot of us from just jumping in with both feet. I feel the same way because, you know, my generation and it's not like I, f- I feel for them. I feel the disconnect. I feel like there is a lot of people that are craving for this sense of uh, fulfillment, but they don't really know where to get it. They're, they're sort of looking to social media. They're sort of like seeing these superficial lives on there and they, you're right. They don't really feel like there is hope anymore. And it's like we look at the media, all we need to do is turn on the news and see all these catastrophic events that are going on. But mm-hmm. honestly, like I love your message of there is still hope out there. There is still joy to be had in life. And it comes down to, I believe, ultimately a choice whether or not we want to look for it. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I love your stories because you guys have suffered loss. You've suffered a ton of grief. You've suffered seemingly hopeless situations but you've been able to i guess you could say um come back to to the best part of life and and turn it all around um so yeah. i want to i wanted to give people a bit of context into your story right now so Catherine, you suffered a pretty life-threatening stroke so can you can you share the the story and the journey behind that absolutely as a 26-year-old newlywed, just out of the newlywed phase, I guess, with a six-month-old baby in the next room taking a nap, 
I suffered a massive brainstem stroke and very nearly died out of absolutely nowhere. I had no symptoms, no mourning, no medical history, no family history, nothing. And I had what's called an AVM, an arterial venous malformation, and it ruptured. That's a an incorrectly formed collection of blood vessels that was in my brainstem. And then it ruptured and caused the stroke. And, and subsequently, after I was taken to the hospital, the doctors that were able to operate on me, a few renegade surgeons came together, one in particular, and operated. And it was a 16-hour microbrain surgery. And during that surgery, which I very nearly died many, many times, um, they knew that in order to sustain my life, they would have to make sacrifices. And it was very possible that many, many um, things could have happened. I could have never woken up afterwards. I could never breathe on my own, but I did those things and many, many more, but I'm still very disabled today. I cannot walk on my own. I cannot drive a car. Obviously, my face is paralyzed and my hand um, doesn't work. And I'm deaf in one ear. I'm blind in one eye, just about have double vision and many, many health problems. But obviously, I'm here. I lived through the surgery and they were able to remove the AVM. And um, yeah, basically, I am living a second chance at life. And I believe so deeply that if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And I know for sure that I wouldn't be here if I wasn't supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. So I know that even in this altered state that I'm here for a reason. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me, were you, when you did have the stroke, were you conscious at all with what was going on? Not, not once I got to the hospital, I lost consciousness after we left our apartment, but I was conscious for about the first 10 minutes. Wow. So Jay, what was going on in your mind as Catherine was going through this stroke? So I, at that time was at um, law school. We were living on campus at the law school called Pepperdine, which is in Malibu, California in Los Angeles. And that's where we had moved away from our family and where we had, uh, grown up in the southeast part of the U.S., um, so 2,500 miles away to just have an adventure, you know, and we had had a baby and everything was just right, you know, in front of us, all this wonderful life. And I was about to graduate literally in three weeks and we were going to go on, you know, to a new season of life. And it was just a super exciting time. And you really just, you know, you're young. We were 26 and just assume, you know, what's going to be next in your life. And um, so I was literally... I, I should not have been home at the time that it happened. Um, as Catherine said, our baby was taking a nap. She was making um, some food in the kitchen and I had really procrastinated for one of my final papers. And so I came back and I said, we always joke, you know, like procrastination saved her life really in many ways. And so, you know, it's not always bad. Um, uh, but but I come home for a short little window of about 45 minutes, kind of at my lunch break to come finish up a presentation on, you know, online. And uh, during that time, she called out from the other room and, and 
said she didn't know what was happening to her, but she felt very strange and she started falling to the floor and then throwing up and she couldn't walk or everything went numb. Um, so, you know, it's just like life is going normally and in an ordinary day. And then it, it turns extraordinary very quickly. And um, it was head spinning to say the least. So they came and took her via ambulance to the hospital. And, um, you know, I, I growing up, uh, I was the son of a pastor. I still am. And, and, you know, I knew, bad things happen sometimes, you know, uh, children die and things work out really differently than we would think. And so at the same token, you just never thought it would still happen to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think we all disassociate in that way. And so as I went to the hospital, um, you know, there was this reality setting in that, wow, maybe today is the day that you're going to fully understand what the hard and worst parts of life look like. And so I kind of, you know, it was shocking, but I kind of realized this might, she could die. And this, it was just as crazy as it was, that was possible. And so anyway, the long story short is that she got, you know, just happened to get taken to literally the number three hospital in the whole country, the best hospital in the entire West, which is UCLA, which is a big, you know, the teaching hospital. And they do all, you know, all the hardest cases and some of those things. And um, the doctor on call just happened to be very specialized and really exactly her issues with the bleeding in her brain and those things. And yet he still didn't know if he could actually even do anything for her. She might've already been too far gone and it was the biggest AVM he had seen. And it was the worst case scenario, pretty much. It was, you know, her brain was being squeezed down into her spine because of the pressure. And so on and on, it was just, everything was sort of stacked against her. And yet he saw me carrying our baby, you know, and he just felt he, he needed to give her a second chance, even though I was a lawyer. And so that wasn't great. You know, you didn't want to get sued. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> so there was everything was really against him doing it, but he just felt in his, in his heart. And he sort of later has credited, you know, just, I don't know, somebody helped me, you know, God helped me. And, and he just was, uh, is a brilliant, humble man, but, um, he really felt he couldn't have even, he couldn't have done it on his own. So when she went into surgery and all through the night, our church, friends came and prayed and, you know, we just really cried out to God to hope that she could live knowing that she well may not. And our baby was going to wake up without a mom. And yet um, the next day she did and uh, she survived the surgery and he came out and said, Catherine lived on April 22nd, 2008. So that's what we, to this day sort of celebrate as her second chance birthday. You know, we have a, a party, almost like a birthday party just to remember and we just celebrated 13 years, um, just how far we've come and the real miracle of it. Cause it's easy to forget. You have, you know, new issues and time passes and there's things that are, that are really hard still, you don't get a pass from that. And, um, so anyway, we, that's sort of our touchstone is to say, this is a second chance. It shouldn't be, and it's not perfect, but mm. we're here against all the odds really. So was it, was it God that gave you both hope during that period of time or was there something else that sort of gave you that because oftentimes we we kind of look for hope within our environment sort of our mm -hmm. first reaction is a human reaction we don't necessarily look to god straight away um mm -hmm. or we try to but we're human right well ultimately we we stuff up that way but we kind of look for those little little inches i guess to hope for something like in a doctor giving us a diagnosis mm -hmm. or you name it so what kind of 
kept you guys hoping that Catherine would survive. And even for you, Catherine, did you, when you woke up, did you have hope that you would get better? Mm. Yeah, good, good question. I've actually never been asked that before, but I love that question. Mm -hmm. I would say firstly, to tell a quick story about what my doctor told Jay when he came out of surgery was that I had lived through the surgery and that for him was the beginning Mm. of hope that I would in fact um, recover. So I think Mm. that in a a way launched a major amount of hope um, on April 22nd morning. For me, obviously, hope would would come in much later when I eventually woke up from the coma-like state I was in, which was two and a half months later. But even then, for sure then, and for years after that, and throughout our entire ordeal and still today, our faith, our Christian faith has dictated our entire response to this, our our belief that God somehow is working in and through all of this has been the thread that has made us able to cope, that has enabled us to wake up to this life and say somehow this is all part of what God has for us in this hard story. And it's a good story that he's writing. Mm-hmm. And we we don't understand all the pieces, but we trust a God who knows how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. So so I, does that answer your question? It, it I like, does. Yeah. I like that question too, because I think, you know, there's a distinction um, sometimes in the moment of, trauma or tragedy where, you know, we're just sort of in this fight or flight mode. And um, these little experiences, we call them God winks. You know, there are these little moments that, you know, after a while, when things just happen to be this and just happened to work out this way, and it was crazy because this just happened and this just happened, you kind of, it, it's almost crazier to just think that it just happened and that there was something weaving through it all and that God was, pulling together these people it's and hope. moments <laughs> hope and, yeah. right. Yeah. I'm rocking the hope always. But, but I think, um, you know, even just like, like I said, when I came across following the ambulance and the giant billboard said, you know, UCLA hospital, the number three in the country, it's like, Oh, I didn't choose to come here. I didn't know where they were taking her. Of course, you know, and the doctor comes up and he's board certified and interventional, you know, neurosurgery and radiology and 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 then our church family again we don't have family there but our our whole church shows up Mm. to be with us and you know just thing after thing it's sort of like oh these things are, are are pushing me towards hope and away from despair and sometimes when we sort of name that as god in the moment it's um I don't know. It's like our brains can't almost process. It's like, and and maybe we're we're scared or we're mad at God or we're, we don't hear God and we don't know what's going on. And I think that's why it's important to go back and and re-narrate your story and retell yourself your story. And even the opportunities to write the two books have been so powerful because you kind of forget, oh, wow, look at all these things that happened and how beautiful that was that it worked out that way. I maybe didn't even notice in the moment what was going on and but that's hope and and then the second thing is just like i said the community you know we it was one o'clock i think or two o'clock on a 
on a Monday when she had her stroke and I go to the ER and all these familiar faces are there and it's almost confusing at first because I don't, I, why is every, why do I know these people? And it's because they stopped what they were doing in the middle of their day to come and give that ministry of presence that we get to give each other and tears, you know, and not try to fix it or say some Bible verse and some awkward, terrible thing that we try to do in moments of pain, but just to help me know and Catherine know that we weren't alone. And um, I like to phrase, they said one time that uh, community and the Christian community says that we will hope for you until you can hope for yourself again. And I think that is so profound to know that we don't always have to muster up all the hope that we need. And because we have people around us and with us as part of our story, sometimes we need them to hope for us and lean and depend on them to hold us up with their hope. And then eventually we can stand on our own hope again um, and then give that to somebody else, you know, and it begins this beautiful cycle. I just got, I just got chills when you, when you said that, that saying, my goodness. <laughs> um, I, I, completely, I completely agree with, with both of you because like if, I'm only 24 and, you know, I'm, I've experienced like my own traumas and, and hospitals. We have a running joke in the family. Like what's another hospital visit for Jay? It's kind of like, mm. I've been there so many times with different health right. issues and actually funny thing, right. I just came out of hospital yesterday for something else. So no it's, kidding. It's no. one of the, How are you doing? Okay? Yeah. Are you okay? I'm a lot better now, but the the last six weeks, it was kind of like this, this journey of like what's going on, trying to figure it out. The doctors found sort of lesions on my kidneys and lesions in my bowel and they're trying to figure out what it is. And But in that moment of like the six weeks, I was like, because I had already experienced like I uh, had a, a meningitis meningococcal 2018. I had a burst appendix when I was 13, 14, you, you oh. name it like all these things, right? I'm not trying to take away from your story at all. It's no. really yeah. illustrate the point for people that as a 24 year old going through all that up until this point, I can look at it and say, without a shadow of a doubt, I saw God's hand in, in every area of my life, even though I didn't actually see it in the moment. Like I, and that was because I chose not to see it. I was complaining for being in, in pain and in, quote, suffering. Um, and then when I went back and, and reflected on it, I was like, I saw God. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment where I realized mm-hmm. that if I, if I didn't see him in that moment, then <laughs> he's, he's always there. And I always go back to one of my all-time favorite um, poems which is footprints in the sand and mm-hmm. how like we can't off, oftentimes we can't see god but mm-hmm. he's carrying us through the difficult times mm-hmm. and i was actually speaking with uh christine kane the other day and she was saying ah, that's cool she's an amazing <laughs> cool. amazing woman she was saying that we're talking about the unexpected things that, that come into our life and she said something quite profound as well. She's like, God never promises that we won't go through deserts or hard times, but he always promises to walk with us through those hard times. Mm-hmm. And I was just like reflecting on mm-hmm. on my own life and I was just like, that's just hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> yeah. 
It's yeah. so good. Yeah. And that's the hope too. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes we're not able to fully feel God's presence in the midst of our pain. We're, 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 we're hurting too much or we're distracted or, or we don't even want to, you know, sometimes I think the love of God in all of its fullness is almost too much for us to bear talking about the, you know, sort of the self-protection that we had talked about earlier. I think when we recognize just how far God's love will come for us in as far as we can go away from it, you know, as in, in much, as in much pain as we can be, um, that's an overwhelming reality sometimes almost too much to bear. And so I think, you know, for us, we continue to lean into that reality too, that um, just because we don't hear God, maybe God's silent, that doesn't mean he's abandoned us. And I think so often that abandonment narrative is deep in all of our human fears that, you know, if everybody knew all that I've done or who I am or whatever, they would leave me, you know, and we think that about God too. Oh, I, I messed up again, or I'm too far gone. And, you know, sometimes there's silence so that we can listen and that we can notice that there's, you know, that there's something missing and it doesn't mean God's not there and hasn't been there. Um, and I think when we believe that, then we're not so afraid, you know, in the different things that come up and the different pain that we face. So again, that's hope. That's another just definition of hope, like knowing that God hasn't abandoned us, no matter the circumstance. Have you guys looked at the the differences or the similarities between hoping and faith at all? That's good. We should probably do like a, maybe a book on that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that to Christine Kane. She's way uh, icier. And yeah. So I think cute. what's funny though, is we, um, a favorite definition that we often use interchangeably right. with hope is actually was originally a definition of faith right? by the uh, author Phil Yancey. And he says, faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. Right. And so for us, we sort of said, wow, that's so true of hope too, in that we believe that hope is this future promise, you know, this believing in advance, what only makes sense in reverse. It's this future promise that we live out in the present. And so I think they're in so many ways, they just couple mm. profoundly. And I think um, that, that's a great question. Yeah. Just the, the, the distinctions, but I, I, I find them to be sort of coupled together. Um, They're intertwined with one another, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's this unseen reality, but that is still a reality. And that, you know, if we have the, just sort of the faith uh, to step forward into this unknown, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is hope too. And yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we, we might've quoted that in our book. I hope we even, we might have made our own version of it. I mean, again, it was Phil Yancey, but mm. I, we were always struck by that. It was so profound to lean into that future mm. promise right now. Yeah. From memory, I think you guys did. Uh, that's why I wanted to ask you. <laughs> from a I love that. Yeah. Um, but, but for you, awesome. Catherine, like yeah. when, you, when you were sort of going through that recovery process, what what kept you going? What kept you pushing forward and what stopped you from giving up? So, so many things. One was that sweet little baby that was 
you know, growing eight months, 10 months, a year old, a year and six months old. And my recovery really tracks my early, early recovery tracks with him learning to do things for the first time. So he's learning to walk. I'm relearning to walk. He's learning to eat. I'm relearning to eat. So he was a huge factor. Also, my entire Dear close family and extended family and community were a huge part of just lifting me up. I mean, I didn't I didn't have the energy to even cultivate much hope, reason to get out of bed, anything. Mm -hmm. And they really helped hold me up through that very dark time. And of course, we've talked about it, but my faith, my belief in the story not being over when suffering and tragedy came, that it was just something new that I wasn't yet aware of. And here we sit 13 years later, and now we see more of the picture of what God was doing all mm -hmm. along. Yeah. What has loss specifically taught you about who God is and about your own life? Hmm. Good question. Um, I imagine pre-stroke, I hadn't ever thought there could be good things in loss. I don't think I could have ever imagined that losing anything, any ability, any whatever, reputation, it, anyone could ever possibly be something that eventually I could see the goodness of God in. Mm -hmm. But that has absolutely been true, that over and over loss post-stroke has eventually equaled a gain in some area of my life. And I think also a redefining of goodness. I'll let you say it. But I think, you know, until you've actually lost things, you don't know just how much loss would be too much loss to bear, right? And then when you you really do lose things, you realize, okay, I'm still here. What do I do with that loss now? How do I mourn it? How do I move forward through it? And, um, you know, it really does make you question, of course, the goodness of God. Is he involved in the losing? How much so? Um, just how that all combines and, and certainly brings more questions than answers. But I think um, we, we heard... A beautiful quote. Catherine uh, tells it beautifully of yeah, we, uh, we theologian have, from a long time ago, redefining goodness. We have a dear friend who's a beautiful musician and just incredible lyric composer. Her name is Sarah Groves, and she lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And she wrote a beautiful song called Open My Hands. And the opening of the song says, I believe in a blessing I don't understand. I've seen rain fall on the wicked and the just. Rain is no measure of his faithfulness. He withholds no good thing from us. And I can remember hearing her play that song at the conference I was speaking at. And I immediately, after the song was over, rushed over to her and said, tell me how you got there. How did you discover that insight? And she said in her study, she came upon a theologian in the 1600s named Sir Richard Baker, mm. 
who beautifully wrote um, based on Psalm 8411, that no good thing does he withhold, that the good things of God, the truly best things of God are not physical things at all, but in fact, they are the peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, the fruition of his presence in this life and the assurance of his face in the next of these things we can know God will never withhold because honestly, they're untouchable. They can never be taken away from us because they aren't things in this physical world. Say them again, I think. Okay, just to say him again. <laughs> One more time for the back. Peace, peace the back. of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, the fruition of presence in this life, and the assurance of his face in the next. And that is our deep comfort, is that the truly good things of God can never be taken. That is that is a beautiful, wow. Uh, I'm smiling. If people can actually like watch the video, I'm smiling because it's like this hits home for me a lot. <laughs> um, I hope so. Me too. Me too. Thank you for sharing that. A uh, couple more questions for you both, if you don't mind, because I know it is absolutely right. Um, you speak a lot about redefining quite a few things in your book, Suffer Strong. So, what does firstly, what does it mean to redefine suffering in the first place, and then? I'll, I'll start with that question and I might ask a follow on because I don't want to overload you. <laughs> yeah, that's why you have to overload us. I think um, <laughs> we got a lot to say clearly. Redefining for us is the way forward. I think we can't change the circumstances. We can't even pray them away. You know, we all sort of know that if we've lived long enough. But what we can change is how we think about them. And we can change how we redefine the narrative that's being played out in our head every day about our life and our story and um, re-narrate the world to ourselves. Mm. And that gives us some sense of agency and also empowers us to continue living it, no matter what happens, that we can say, you know what, I redefine that loss is not the end, that I actually, you know what, the things that can never be taken away are the best things deeply. And I want to... I'm saying that and I want to actually live it and believe it. And I, you know, I don't want, want to act like that's a simple process, you know, to, to, to say that those things, those things of God that never can be taken away are the best things, you know, that's a profound statement, but it's also hard in the face of losing things that are precious to you. And so there's this, you know, opportunity to redefine the world it's a reorienting of your life. And it often feels like you're upside down. You know, your life has been upended, right? But we believe in that upended space, we can see this upside down kingdom of God. And, you know, it changes, it changes everything. We believe that um, that's been a great gift to suffer at a young age, because it sort of informs how we live the rest of our life. God willing, it's, we've got a few more years mm. on this earth. So we want to live them well, and we want to live them with that upside down kingdom in mind. Mm. How about for you, Catherine? Oh, goodness. Um, say the question again. I'll say whatever comes out first. So how have you been able to redefine suffering in your life? I think 
when I recognized that suffering was not the end of my story, but actually suffering was the way forward in a new story, I think that redefined everything for me that I was able to recognize. I think even just identifying that it's a story. I don't even think I understood that pre-stroke. I just saw my life as my life, my one shot, my moment, rather than this is a story God is writing and there are chapters in this story. And some chapters, seasons, there is tremendous suffering and others, there is tremendous mm-hmm. joy. And those are commingled in the story of my life. And I I think I had to redefine that one for sure. Mm-hmm. And then it's part of a bigger story too. Yeah. For sure. What do you love the most about your story, Catherine? Oh my goodness. Well, I know you know this because you've read our books, but um, I went on to have a second baby named John Nestor, named for my neurosurgeon, Nestor Gonzalez. And that would be a pretty cool part of my story that I love is that I get to be a mommy again to a new baby. And should I keep going or that's one of the top? Yeah, I love that. I think, yeah, all those full, the full circle moments, you know, you say you'll we'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And like those chances to really see the full circle arc of the story are the best, mm-hmm. most um, redemptive moments and parts. And mm-hmm. we're grateful anytime we see that full circle happen, including having new life where there should only be death is sort of the ultimate thread through the whole story. Yeah. Um, the yeah. story of the gospel and our story. And and your second son, his name actually is a pretty special story in of itself. Now, if people want to hear that, I'll just plug uh, the Johnson twins, a love like this podcast here for them, so they can go and listen to that episode because oh. I loved it. It was a very and once again, this is a profound conversation in of itself. That was a profound uh, meaning behind how you actually got to naming your second child. So go and it, it gave me like I was driving in the car. And when I heard it, I had this massive smile on my face. I was like, that's so cool. (laughs) I wish I had a a story about me naming, being named Jared or Jay. (laughs) I I don't either. Neither do you, I guess. No, uh, I love (laughs) that. It's very special. But uh, one one of the questions I do want to ask you is, do you have a favorite story in the Bible at all? Oh, wow. Sure. Um, what's my very favorite story in the Bible? I, I've always really loved the story of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. And then through that terrible, terrible suffering, he ends up in this tremendous p- position of power And I think I've always been drawn to that reversal that what looked like the very worst was happening turned out to be how he really was able to save the day in every sense of the word. Goodness. Mm -hmm. He um, was able to then not only forgive his brothers, Mm -hmm. but take care of that family Mm -hmm. when there was a famine. And that, that may be my, Favorite. However, I'm loyal, as you you'll hear on the Johnson Girls podcast, 
to John 9 3. That's what I was going to say. Right. Oh, no, sorry. Do you want me to say it? No, John 9 3, where <laughs> someone asked Jesus why the man was born blind. And Jesus says, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we just love that idea so much. It sort of perfectly wraps up everything that we have been saying. It's like we may not understand God's workings, but he is working and it is powerful nonetheless. Mm-hmm. How about for you, Jay? That's right. She she took my answer. Yeah, I said okay. I I think I was I was thinking of that story too because of the the name of of our of our youngest son John, but also our work with people with disabilities and I think um so often, you know, again in the the economy of just value and and the way the the world and the culture says uh, what is uplifted and what's most important, you know, the people who are thrown to the wayside and the disenfranchised and the broken down and the hurting and the lonely, um, you know, often just feel like God made a mistake with their life, you know, and we felt that way too. And I think in that story, Jesus, you know, quickly, up in sort of the religious thinking of, oh, you know, somebody must have done something wrong. This is God's punishment. You know, you're not worthy. Like, and he said, no, like, actually, this is the way that God's power is going to be made perfect, that God's works are going to be shown to other people who encounter this human being in ways that they wouldn't encounter through somebody who was just sort of typical, you know, and without pain and suffering in their life. So mm-hmm. this is so hopeful, I think, for us and all of our own pain and in all of our own blindness and in all of our own disabilities. Um, we, we say everybody has invisible wheelchairs. You know, many people in our friends with disability community have physical wheelchairs that help them to be in the world, but we all have invisible wheelchairs. And mm-hmm. yet through those, we believe that God is displaying himself in a really unique way. And that's good news. And again, that's that's the hope that our that what looks to the rest of the world or even to our own selves sometimes as the worst thing or as such a big loss or as this thing we never would have wanted that God says, no, I'm going to show myself through that, not in spite of it, but actually through it. And that's going to give other people freedom to to find hope as well. Can I share with you my all-time favorite verse from the Bible? Like sure. this is this is like I actually wrote my very first book around this verse. Um, I titled the book The Path of an Eagle, and it comes from Isaiah 40, verse 31. And mm-hmm. literally, I kid you not, the third word in that verse is hope. And it's telling you who to hope in, in the Lord, who will renew your strength. And they will be able to soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And I I say that my life is the path of an eagle because no matter how many times I get knocked down, I I see that that period of being knocked down as a strengthening period so that I can spread my wings. And when I hope in God and when it's the right time, then I can start increasingly flapping my wings or whatever you want to want to use. And mm. I can soar higher than I did before. And yeah. I think that's really just part of who I am as, as an individual. And I think that mm-hmm. uh, your message and your story is, has inspired so many people with just getting back up and soaring and not giving up and keeping, keeping going and which 
I absolutely love. So I want to say thank you both so much for for your time today and and for everything that you're doing. Um, two final questions, please, if you don't mind. <laughs> I'm loving this. Oh, thank you for that. That's so good. One thing that I got the most out of your book um, in Suffer Strong is there's a particular chapter that you talk about redefining beauty in there. And I wanted to ask you, Catherine, specifically, what have you learned about redefining what true beauty actually is? Many, many things. I would say um, among the most significant would be that so much of how we understand beauty and our appearance has to do with messages that we shouldn't have listened to or shouldn't have believed. And so much of our story of beauty is truly in, in the best moment, learning to walk away from the shame we feel, mm. the memorable messages we've heard and internalized about what we look like instead of listening to God have been so um, formative for each of us in our lives. And it's very destructive. Mm -hmm. I would also say that in terms of our appearance, um, when we see our bodies as how we get to interface with the world and how we get to show up to the story that God's writing, it changes how we feel about our body. It's not so much like how pretty is my face. It's more about here I am. Here's myself. Here's my soul. I get to bring into this conversation and this world. And I think that changes how we, we see our, ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Okay. This is my final question for both of you. This is my all time yeah. favorite question. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you both to imagine with me that you have been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together two films, one for each of you, of everything you have ever said and everything you have ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you both on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life separately? Oh, golly. Who wants um, to go first? Jay does. <laughs> Good choice. I um, man, I think that's a you know, a hundred A sounds very old. I hope I don't live quite that long. Well, I will be very true. tired by by that point. <laughs> but and the beautiful opportunity that I might have to reflect on that a life well lived. Um, you know, I think that movie would look like um. Uh, I hope some level of self-sacrifice, some showing up even when I didn't want to. And that's all of us, you know, I'm not putting some separate category, but in terms of just caregiving and parenting and, you know, just all the things it's like, um, <laughs> just he kept showing up with love and hopefully with joy too. Sometimes when you show up with, with consistency over time, the joy uh, goes down. So I'm telling myself that now. So I remember when I'm a hundred that um, to show up with great love, but with joy too, is the, is the work. And I hope that's the work I accomplish in the next 60 years. Wow. Yeah. He took mine. I would, I would for sure say 
that the theme of the movie would be joy. And uh, the phrase, is that what you asked about? Phrase, would they say? Uh, the phrase would be, she lived with joy no matter what was to come in her life. And no matter all the surgeries, all the broken bones, the stroke, all the brain issues, that somehow her joy was always her secret weapon. <laughs> I think that's a perfect send-off message. Catherine and Jay, where can people yeah. find you both and connect with you and, and buy your books? Oh, That's kind. You can go to hopeheals.com. So H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S.com. Uh, we've also got a bunch of free downloadable resources. So for, for our two books, Hope Heals and Suffer Strong, we've got multiple different sort of ways in which you can engage that with reflection guides, but also with book club guides. We've, we've loved seeing people just take some of the specific, you know, best and worst things that happen to us. And then in community sort of think through what God is teaching them about their own story through that. So we just couldn't be more humbled that people are doing that. So we have some free resources on our website. And then on Instagram is kind of our main place. We um, show up, I think with hopefully humor and uh, some sort of, you know, just offering to the world to of things to think about at Hope Heals as well. So that's where you can find us. Well, I'll make sure that's all in the show notes below, but thank you both so much for being guests today and sharing your stories on the Storybox podcast. Oh, we love getting it. to talk to you, Jay. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 